My name is Greg. I'm the youth and children's director here at Sunrise, and I get to be a part of the teaching team as well. And as we get started, uh, I first want to make sure I dismiss our children in worship to their classes. That's for ages three years old up to fifth grade. Uh, they got a special time where they get to learn about Jesus and uh, just really um, hear the story of what uh, the gospel is all about. And so uh, it'll be an awesome time for them. And also we want to let you guys know also about our nursery care. Um, we got some awesome volunteers who just uh, hang out with your kids. Uh, that's for ages zero to uh, two years old as well. And uh, that's just a blessing for us parents to actually get to hear and enjoy service sometimes. So, <laughs> well, I'm going to pray for us as we get started into our message today. We are in, uh, continuing our series on John, and we are concluding very fast. We actually only have one more Sunday next week, and then we are done. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into it. God, I thank you so much just for your story and the fact that uh, although we are coming to the conclusion of John's uh, testimony about your life, Jesus, that you uh, very much are alive and well today and that you are still doing great things in our lives. God, I pray right now that you would do a great thing in each one of our lives, God, that you would allow us to hear from your word, that it would transform our hearts and our minds and renew us to do your good work today. Thank you so much that you are alive and well and that you work in us uh, very personably, God, that you know us by name and that you have brought us here intentionally to hear from this word today. Help us to submit to it, to hear it, and to trust it. And thank you for loving us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get started, uh, we're going to do one of those moments where we uh, kind of do a flashback in a movie, right? You're watching the movie, and it flashes back to a previous point and then brings you back to where we are today, because our main text is going to be in John 18, but we're going to first flash back to John 12, uh, where we are celebrating Palm Sunday. Uh, that's why you were handed a palm. If you were new to Sunrise and you don't know why you're holding a piece of plant, that is why we we're doing it, because we are, we are celebrating in that same way. And so um, the Apostle John gives his testimony in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16 of this moment. And this is what it says. It says, The next day, uh, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard uh, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on the donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they re realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And the whole town just erupts in excitement over his coming into Jerusalem. All of them are celebrating him as the king of Israel. And they are, they are giving him this mighty celebration. This is the conquering king. This is the king we have been waiting for. They, they were, had these things in their mind even, some of them, that, that this was going to be the, the king that was going to reestablish David David's throne over Israel, that they, he would come in and conquer Rome. Remember, Rome at this moment is the superpower of the world, uh, and they are dominating uh, Israel. They are dominating the Jewish people, and so this would be their liberator. 
And in, in a lot of ways, they were right. Jesus is that king. He is the king of David that would sit on uh, David's throne forever. He is the, the liberator of uh, his people. The only problem is, is they had the wrong throne in their mind. They were thinking this earthly throne, and he keeps talking about these things uh, like the, the kingdom of God and the fact that he's going to go away and that later he's going to send an advocate for us that will dwell amongst us and that we will see him now, but then we won't see him, then we'll see him again and all this stuff. And so uh, what we've been kind of experiencing from chapter 12 as we are getting to where we're at uh, now, chapter 18, is that Jesus kind of keeps interrupting their mindset. He keeps kind of like telling them these things that they are not quite getting. He's saying things like, you know, that this isn't where his kingdom is. And they're like, what do you mean? We're the Jewish people. Like, this is where you're supposed to have your kingdom. This is, we're the chosen people. And so he keeps saying all these things, and, and they're not really liking it, uh, what he's saying, the, the Jewish people, the, the people of uh, Jerusalem. They're not appreciating what he's saying, and so they're starting to get frustrated. And that's where we're going to find out that these people at this one point, they were singing Hosanna, they were singing that Jesus is their king, here in a bit are going to be singing and screaming out something quite different. And so we're going to be on our main text on John chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles and your apps to that. And we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, Jesus had been, uh, this is, and just to remind you where this is taking place, Jesus had been giving them all this information, this information download about what's going to happen to him and trying to prepare his disciples. And this is after he had gone and had some time with the Father and been praying and, and seeking to be strengthened by him and, and uh, just getting ready for what's ahead of him. And so he's kind of concluding his prayer time, and that's where we rejoin the story it says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left, uh, left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley on the other side. There was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. But Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers, some, off, uh, some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let the, uh, these men go. This happened so that the word that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck uh, the high priest's servant's, uh, servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with the commander and the Jewish off, uh, officials arrested Jesus. So Jesus had finished praying. He had finished kind of doing this information download to the disciples. And you've got to remember that these disciples and Jesus are exhausted at this point. It's been a long night. 
It's funny, I was just talking to some people and my family as well. We've had a long weekend. It's been a busy weekend, and we got a busy day today. And it's just one of those things that, like, I'm just like, man, I'm tired. And then I look at this moment, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm not that tired, right? You know, <laughs> I guess I should stop complaining. Um, but uh, what's interesting is they go from the, that garden where Jesus was praying, and it says that uh, the Lord has strengthened him, and then he goes to this other place, this other uh, kind of garden, and it's a place that is private. It's a place that he's taken the other disciples before, and it's something that only uh, you know, the disciples of Jesus would know to look for him there. And that's where Judas plays a pivotal role. He knows to search for Jesus in this location. And so he goes and he points him out. Uh, and it says in verse 4 uh, of this, it says that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. I want to spend a moment on that. Jesus knew everything that was about to take place to him. It's important for us to understand that because as we hear the story, sometimes we can start to think of Jesus as this was all catching him off guard. Like he didn't know this was going to happen to him. The, the, he is the victim in this story. But it's very clear that he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. That's why in chapter 17, when it talks about him praying and getting ready for this moment, that uh, the other gospels will talk about the distress that he was under to the point of sweating uh, blood. I mean, that's, that takes major stress. That's major anxiety. He's, he's getting ready to face his death, to face the cross. So yeah, naturally, you're going to have a lot of stress at that moment. And so he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And yet Jesus didn't shrink back in fear. He didn't hold back. He didn't look for what was best for himself. Instead, he went forward. And this is what he did. We see it in verses 5 and 6. The, the, the group asks, or he asks the, the group, who are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. He's raising his hand at that moment. He says, I'm your guy. I'm stepping forward into this. It says, when they heard, uh, when Jesus said this, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen, and it was important for us to understand that Jesus is in full control of this situation. He's in full control. Now, there's a little bit of debate about what happens there in in the end of verse 6, about them falling to the ground, like, what's that about? There's some people that think, well, that just shows how unorganized the group was. But, I mean, these were trained soldiers, so I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, there's some people that just were, are like, well, maybe they were surprised because you got to imagine that most people that these guys were going after aren't used to a, a person just saying, yeah, I'm your guy. And being like, whoa, okay, I, you're very bold, right? You're not afraid of us. Uh, most people are cowering in fear. But... When I read this, uh, what I kind of see is the fact that, you know, we got to remember Jesus constantly is speaking with authority. In fact, that's what usually surprises people. They're, they're taken uh, kind of sideways on it because they're like, how does this man speak with such authority? He says things and he just speaks in such a mighty way. And so we have to remember that this is God. This is the God, the son. Jesus is God, the son. And he's speaking in that same kind of authority. And I think uh, Philippians kind of reveals a little bit on it. It says uh, in Philippians 2.10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I think this is a moment where Jesus says his real name. He says, I am. 
You know, we're supposed to connect the dots between uh, this moment of him saying that and what he, how God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Jesus is saying, I am he. We're supposed to get that reference. At this, the crowd that is in front of him bows in front of him. And I think it's one of those moments that all creation is reminded of our place in the universe. That he is God, and we should submit to him. That is our place. Bended knee to our God. And yet, what does Jesus do? Does he take this moment to shine his glory and to, to shine his power as the Son of God? No, he, he does quite the opposite. It says in verse 7 and 9, he says, Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so the word, of, uh, the word he has spoken would be fulfilled. I have lost, I have not lost one that you, of those that you gave me. So Jesus, I just imagine this moment. Jesus like kind of helps the soldier back up. Come on, get up, come on, get up. And then he says, okay, so who were you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he, I told you. And then he starts to direct what's going to happen. He's like, I'm going to go with you. I'll go with you willingly. Uh, but these guys, you're going to leave alone. Okay, that's how it's going to work. He's in full control of the situation. You've got to imagine that the guards are like, okay, sure. Like, I guess, we're, so we're allowed to arrest you? you know, like, that seems to be the kind of situation that's happening here. Jesus is like holding their hand and walking them through this process. And then Peter, oh, Peter. He steps in, right? Peter knows what he's going to do. It says in verses 10 and 11, it says that then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter here, he's trying to inter interject himself. He's trying to be the Savior to our Savior. He's trying to save Jesus. And so Jesus has been prepping them for the last couple days. Hey, this is going to happen. It's going to be crazy. Trust in me. Trust what's going to happen. It's going to be a little bit scary. It's going to be dark for a bit, but then the light will come. I promise you, trust me through this. And so as things start to get a little bit rocky, Peter whoops out his sword and then swings at one of the guards, right, at one of the servants. And this should just show us how ill-equipped the disciples were to defend Jesus. The whole body, okay, whole body. What does Peter hit? He nicks an ear, right? <laughs> like, that's his best shot. You know, he had one moment. He's like catching him off guard. Yeah. <laughs> really, dude? <laughs> and that, that just shows you, like, these guys weren't ready. But I think also there's something so relatable to that moment. Because what is Peter feeling at this moment? He's feeling like his world is spinning out of control. And what crazy things are we willing to do to try to gain some sense of control as well? I've seen people do some really crazy things before. Maybe you've done this, and this is no judgment. This is just the reality of, of how we are sometimes as humans. I've seen some people who, when life is feeling completely out of control, they will, they will stop eating because they can't control the rest of their life, but they can control a meal. And so they'll skip meals because, well, I can at least control that. Or they'll, they'll overindulge and they'll eat quite a bit more because they're just, they can't control everything, but at least they can control this. I've seen people who uh, will just focus on work 
You know, life is crazy at home. The marriage is a mess or the kids are rebelling or something is going on at home that they cannot control. And so they instead dive twice as hard into work, pouring themselves into that because I can't control there, but at least I can do something here and feel like I have some sense of, sense of control. Maybe we hyper uh, focus on something. You know, I can't fix the rest of the world, but I can garden, right? I can plant things into this dirt and then they will grow and I can I can control that or I can paint or I can do this or I can do that we we have these things in our minds where we just want to have some sense of control over our life but really it's a false sense of control or we swing the opposite direction where we completely just want to bury our heads in the ground I don't want to even think about it. And so I'm just going to dive my head into eating as much as I want to, drinking as much as I want to, sex, drugs, whatever it is. I just want to, I just want to distract my brain. I'm just going to binge watch as much Netflix as I can uh, because I just don't want to think about all the things going wrong in my life. I want to focus on something else. And sometimes that is what we do to try to have some sense of control. And so as we look at Peter's situation and say that this guy was crazy, he was taking on trained soldiers with a sword, and his best shot is nicking an ear. Yeah, the, the boy's a little crazy, right? But sometimes so are we. And what I love about this moment is in the midst of him trying to regain control, who has ultimate control? Who's standing there with him? It says, Jesus says, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? In the midst of him trying to have control, Jesus calls him and says, let go of control. Trust me. What's amazing is that he's saying this as he's getting arrested. As they're tying the ropes around his arms, he's saying, Peter, trust me. Trust in the plan. Trust in what I'm going to do here. And you might say, man, that's hard, but you got to imagine that was a really hard moment to trust Jesus as well. And maybe that's why we see Peter falter so much. Why he's going to deny Jesus three times after this moment. It's because he is seeing Jesus and Jesus is not doing the things that he wants him to do. No, Jesus is supposed to rise up. He's supposed to be the, the, you know, the son of God. He's supposed to have all this power. Why is he allowing himself to be beaten? Why is he allowing himself to be captured? Why is he allowing all these things to happen to him? This is my friend. This is my God. This is my Messiah. This is not how it's supposed to go. It's exactly what ends up happening. Verses 19 through 24, Jesus is led away to go have a trial with the religious leaders. And as they get there, they start to question him and question the things that he's been teaching. And his answers are simply, everything that I've been teaching has been public. I've been teaching in the synagogues. I've been teaching in the streets. I've been out on the open. Nothing has been hidden. I'm not trying to do anything in secret. And so they, he says, if you want to question, question anyone that was there. Question them about what I've been teaching, and you'll hear testimony of the truth I've been speaking. And they get mad at him because he's not cowering in fear to them. That he's not, oh my goodness, please don't hurt me. In fact, he's challenging them. And so they get frustrated and angry, and they want to then go to a higher power, which unfortunately for these religious leaders is not God, it's government. Something incredibly wrong when the religious leaders go to government as their higher power. 
And so they take Jesus to Pilate, and in verses 29 and 30, they bring him, and listen to how this conversation goes. Pilate asks them, uh, what charges are you bringing against this man? And this is their response. It says, if, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Kind of political jujitsu is that right there, right? Well, what, what, what did this man do? Well, if he hadn't done anything wrong, then he, why would we have brought him to you, right? It's like, so you still haven't told me anything, right? And it's very political, right? But that's their answer. And they just keep pushing that. And so a strong leader at this moment would have shut it down. They would have said, you know what? No, I'm not going to bend to your, your, your screaming, justice is justice. But unfortunately, Pilate is not that leader. He's not that strong leader. And every time he does, he interviews him, and he, he finds no guilt with him, and he tries to free him, but the crowd screams all the more. The crowd that was singing Hosanna, the crowd that was singing that Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for, instead now they are screaming, crucify, crucify. And in John 19, verses 8 through 11, it says that when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside to the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Do you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Listen to this answer. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus reminds Pilate who's in control here. Pilate says, I have all this power. And he says, you got nothing, little boy. The only reason that you have any kind of authority is because it has been given it to you from us, from me. Jesus is no victim. He's not a victim. His life was not taken from him. There is no point in this story where Jesus could not have halted everything that is happening to him. At any moment, Jesus could have called down the angels to just stop the whole situation. Not only that, he could have just simply spoke and his authority would have bent everyone's knee. And yet he doesn't do that. He is God the Son, but he never takes that power for himself. Instead, he keeps laying it down constantly. So as the religious leaders beat him, he says nothing. The floggings from the Romans, which was the whippings that would happen to him, as the, the crown of thorns gets smashed into his head, the betrayal of his closest friends that say, I don't even know this man, as the city of the chosen people cry out for his death, as he gets the cross placed on his back to haul up the mountain, and each step of his exhausted self has to take that next step, and pain is just overwhelming him. From the, the nails being put into his body, from hanging on the cross, where each moment he has to lift himself by those nails that were driven through his body just to take a breath so he would not suffocate to death. That's what crucifixion would do. Each of those moments he did submitting to the Father, submitting so that we 
could be reestablished so that we could have that relationship redeemed, forgiven. He did it for you and me. He is not a victim. He's a victor. What's amazing is that when he, he knew, it said earlier, verse 4, he knew everything that was going to happen to him, and he counted that cost, and he said that we were worth it. That is crazy. That he loves us that much. That he was willing to sacrifice so much for us. What's amazing, too, is if we would have died the same death, we would not have covered the sins that we had. It would have simply been justice served. If we would have walked the same road, we would have not been redeemed. It's only by the grace of Jesus' life, laying down his invaluable life. He lived a perfect life. His life was beyond valuable, and yet he gives up his life for us, and he covers the debt of sin in each of our lives. And it's for the past sins, that's the present sins, and it's all the future sins as well. He covers it all because his value of his life is so immense. They can do all of that and more. What's amazing that this moment of chaos is not the only time that he does this. He redeems us out of our sin, but he still walks with us in those moments of storms. He's still the God that is in control. When we have those moments of, of life just overwhelming us, of, of things just falling apart, he is still that God that stands with us and reminds us, trust my plan. Trust what we're doing here. Trust that I am good and that I have this. He is still the God that says, I am he to get you through it. I am he that will not give up on you that I am he for, who forgives you, and I am he who has forgiven you for everything that you have done, and I am he who has, has uh, redeemed you out of everything that has been done to you as well. I am he. You are no longer labeled a victim. You are no longer labeled a victim. We now hold the labels of sons and daughters of the Almighty God. Thanks to the work of Jesus Christ. So we are no longer labeled addicts. We are no longer labeled abusers, troublemakers, uh, undesirables. Uh, we're no longer labeled worthless. We are labeled sons and daughters. We should own that. In the midst of life, we do not claim our own strength. We claim the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the great I am of our lives. And that's what we celebrate. Now, it takes a lifetime for us to live into this. You might know it today. You might know it this moment. But the moment you step out those doors and get in your car, maybe it starts to get a little fuzzy. That you have this identity given to you by Christ. And it's going to take constant reminders. But what's amazing is that he is there with us in all of that. He is the one who stays with us. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit living within us, he constantly reminds us and draws us back close to you, to him. And so he still stands with us. This is why we raise a hallelujah. It's because he is there with us. That he paid the cost. 
He doesn't give up on us. That's why we raise those hallelujahs, because he is the one that is going to stand there. He is going to be the one that transforms our lives, that empowers us to get through it. We raise a hallelujah because this life is not the only one that we have to live for, that we have nothing but heaven in front of us. And this is the only hell that we will ever experience. We raise a hallelujah because he's alive in a well, and he is king. I want to invite us as we get ready to sing this last song. It's a song that I actually heard David sing at Tech, and I heard it and I said, I love that song. We're going to sing that. And so uh, it's one of, I just love this. It's all about our gratitude to Christ and raising a hallelujah. That's all we have to give back to him. We don't do things out of the, the trying to pay God back. We just do our lives out of gratitude because he did it all already. And so as we do that, I want to I pray for us. And you know, one of the amazing things that we have here is that God doesn't leave us by ourselves. He is working constantly in our lives. But one of the amazing he gives, uh, one of the amazing gifts that he gives us is one another, is the community that we have here is that when we are doing life, when life gets hard, we don't have to do it on our own. We have God and we have each other. And so we get to stand there with one another and sing a hallelujah for each other. That we get to stand and say, I know you're struggling. I know you're hurting. I know life is hard right now, but God is still good. And I'm going to point you there and I'm going to hold you up. And then when we have those victories in life, because God always has his victory, that we get to sing those same praises with one another. And so as we sing, as we pray right now more so, if you are in a moment where you need prayer, I, I'm going to pray. And if you need some extra prayer, we have elders, who, elders here who would love to be that person for you. They can't give you all the answers to life. They don't got it. But what they can do is keep pointing you to the God who's in control. And we'll stand with you. We'll love you. And we'll, we'll, we'll weather the storm with you. That's the promise that we have for you. Because God is in ultimate control. And so if you need that extra prayer, as I'm praying, just lift up a hand, and I'm going to invite our elders to just circle around you and pray for you. Um, and if no one lifts their hand, then you, and you just want to do that in your, in your heart, that's fine too. God's there. But I invite you to reach out. Uh, we got elders here who care deeply for you, and it is their honor to stand with you in the storm. That is, that is one of the greatest things that we get to, are allowed to do, is be there for each other. So let's pray, and let's see how God just works his miracles. God, I thank you so much that you are the God who's in control. You are the God of the storms and the valleys, of the good times and the bad times. You constantly are in control. And God, I just pray right now that no matter where we're at, that we can sing a hallelujah because you are the God who will get us through. You are the God who knows the, the end goal, that you are victorious. And we, we claim that over our lives. Not because we're strong, but because you are. We give you praise for the victories that you've had, even in this congregation. I, I, I pray right now, God, I pray victory over the Mason family. For Micah coming home. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus, for that miracle. As we pray, thanks. 
for all the many uh, youth here who, who have devoted their life, who are coming together and, and wanting to know more about you. We thank you for the new families at Sunrise and, and the legacy of the, the people who have been here for a long time. And keep to serving and, and, and pouring out, God. We thank you for this community and the lives that are here who have all been touched by you. God, I thank you that you are in control and we trust you through all the next steps of our life. That you will be there, that you care for us, and oh man, that you are good. So God, anyone who needs that extra prayer, God, I just pray that they would lay, raise their hand right now and that our elders could be there for them. And God, I thank you that we just point back to you. You do the work. None of us are special, but you are quite special. So God, as we, as we now raise our voices to sing in gratitude to you, I pray that you allow us to just sing that hallelujah and remember all the things that you've done in our lives. And it's your name we pray, Lord Jesus.